You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 38 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, as always, and joining me today, a fellow Talking Chop writer, uh, Braves connoisseur, and general fantastic human being. His name is Eric Cole. What's up, man? Hey, man. Uh, I hate technology. I don't know about you, but I really hate it. Yes, uh, you can probably tell by that clip from Eric that uh, he's on his phone. Uh, that is because our Skype connection would not work in the way that we wanted it to. So hopefully you'll be hearing this and you'll be hearing Eric quite clearly. So I apologize for the uh, lack of clarity there, but hopefully you'll be able to get what you need from this podcast. This is actually our third attempt at the show today for that reason, but uh, <laughs> we're trying to give it, we're trying to give you guys content on this fine Sunday evening. So don't don't blame us. Don't shoot the messenger here. And uh, now that we've actually gone from talking before the World Series started to now we're in the bottom of the first inning. That's how much we've talked about <laughs> on this uh, on this Sunday night. But uh, you know, general thoughts on the World Series, Eric. Knowing that uh, as people listen to this, Game Five will already be in the books, but we've only seen games one through four. I mean, I still really like both teams. I don't think that either team is like so much farther ahead than the other. Like we've seen some World Series fairly recently where you know, like one team was just outmatched by the other. Uh, I think both these teams are really good. I just think that the Indians pitching has just been outstanding. And, you know, even if the Cubs win tonight, I still just feel very, like, I feel very good about the Indians' chances. One, because of the spot they're in right now, but also, and their pitching has been really good. Their starting pitching has gotten them, you know, has been has ranged from fantastic to good enough to where they can get to that bullpen. And the bullpen, you know, with Andrew Miller and those guys, has just been, I mean, there's just no, there's no beating them. Um and you know the, the Cubs have been largely silenced by that by, by the pitching staff. Um, this is obviously an offense that's you know very scary, and if that if the Cubs' offense does get going, uh, that's a real problem. But at the same time, um, I, I really like watching both teams. They both seem they all have players I really enjoy watching on the offensive end as well as on the on the mound. So I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I hope that the Cubs can at least get one or two, even more, maybe even two more wins, just so the World Series is longer. But um, I still think that the Indians, just based on how they're playing right now, uh, this is you know this is their series to lose. Yeah, I enjoy baseball, so more of it is is go with me. Uh, as such, I'll be rooting for the Cubs at least for the next couple of nights, so that uh, baseball continues. But listen, by the time people listen to this, it might be over. And uh, if so, congratulations to the Indians on the World Series. Uh, we won't do a ton of that today, although there is a question uh, later that we got in the mailbag that is actually modeled after a member of the Indians. So that's a little teaser. And what we like to call a teaser in the business, at least I should say. But there is some brave, <laughs> there is some brave stuff to talk about uh, on this fun Sunday night. And uh, the first thing I think, you know, the biggest news item, I suppose, from this week is that the Braves have two 
uh, gold glove finalists. Uh, yes, you heard that right. <laughs> they have two. Laughing. Yes. I'm still laughing. Uh, just for the record, uh, this is a little behind the scenes, behind the curtain. I actually called this uh, in our Talking Chop uh, Slack channel. <laughs> Uh, I was writing, I actually got, <laughs> Eric can confirm this, um, but I was writing about Ender uh, because the Ender, Ender Inciarte, for one, uh, was a top three uh, finalist for center field for the gold glove. That was expected. We knew that going ahead of time that he was much, he was very likely going to be included there. So I was doing a little bit of pre-writing and uh, in, the, in the course of that. Uh, I made a joke to everyone in the Slack channel that what if Nick Markakis was also uh, nominated as a finalist, and just just about ten minutes later, there his name went across. Um, so I guess you know Ender, I think he's a clear choice for uh, maybe not to win it, but certainly an easy uh, finalist choice. Um, so I guess oh, we can start easy there. We, we can start there. I, I, it sounds like you agree with that. Is there any? I mean, I, the other candidates in center field are Billy Hamilton of the Reds and Odubel Herrera of the Phillies. Um, Hamilton is sort of the flashier guy because he's a bigger name because of his stolen bases, et cetera. Um, wh- where do you fall on uh, I, whether he should win, uh, whether Ender should win, I should say, I guess. I, I, this is a situation where I do I do like Billy Hamilton. Uh, the one thing that you have to like about him is his range. Uh, his speed just affords him. He can just be all over the place. Crazy. And he just gets his ball that no one else, no, no, no one else can get to. Uh, the thing that, I mean, Ender has just been he, – he's mu- now Ender has a much better arm than Billy does. So there's it's they're very they're different fielders in that regard. Um, I worry that some of like the the almost almost like the advanced counting stats like defensive runs saved and things like that they go against Ender because he missed so much time in the first half. Um, and I think that if Ender had you know either not been hurt and had gotten a better maybe even I mean in some in some voters' minds whether they want to believe it or not offense matters for this award for reasons that no one will ever understand and that's exactly why. <laughs> Andrewson didn't win it last year. Correct. But I want it, it needs to be understood at least that he missed enough time in the first half to where some of those gaudy defensive stats that would normally get some votes like like defensive run saved and you know like just like just like production I guess would be would be a better argument for Ender over Billy Hamilton. As it stands now, it's a little trickier because he's so he's so good, and anyone who watches him for any prolonged period of time knows how good he is. But I don't know if he is appreciably better on a night-to-night basis than Billy to maybe beat out for the fact that he did miss what six, eight weeks uh, with that hamstring injury in the first week, in the first in the first half of the season. So it's tricky. Um, I think Ender's the best center fielder in the National League, uh, and I'm I have no problems at all saying that. I just wish that he hadn't missed the time because I think that it po- it could possibly cost him the gold glove this year. Yeah, I think uh, just for the record, I think Hamilton's going to win for that reason uh, because of his you know the, those cumulative uh, defensive run save things like that. Also, being a bigger name, I think nationally, for as much as that that shouldn't matter, it certainly does matter in this kind of thing. Um, we've seen comical gold gloves gold glove awards being given out to guys who barely play the position or who are actually bad defenders, et cetera, et cetera, because of their bats. It's, um, it's, worth, it's, worth, it's, it's worth noting that Billy Hamilton is not comically bad. Oh, no, he's very good. He's very good. Um, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. I'm just saying name does matter as well. So the, those two okay. things combined uh, with, you know, you mentioned Ender's absence. That certainly factors in here. I think Hamilton's going to win. It wouldn't shock me if Ender won. Um, it would surprise me if Herrera won, to be honest. 
Yeah, um, he seems to be the the, the the easy third choice, but yeah. it's between Ender and Billy. That wouldn't be surprised if either one won. I won't, both be, good. I, I won't be upset if Ender doesn't win. It won't be a situation where last year, I think we were all upset that Anderson didn't win because it would just seem so silly. Well, yes, because Brendan Crawford was like half a shortstop worse than he was. Correct. And, yeah, I just... I just I, uh, whatever. Anyway, and that's either here or there. Edelton deserves should have won last year. Absolutely. Inciarte yeah. uh, <laughs> is the easy one though. There's no there's no outrage at all. If he wins, he wins. If he doesn't, he doesn't. It's kind of it's okay with me either way. I do think he's the best defensive center fielder, but the time does matter that he missed. Uh, the, the controversial one though, uh, we have to get to in a hurry, and that is Nick Markakis, a favorite, the legend, <laughs> a favorite of mine, of course. Um, he was selected as a Gold Glove finalist uh, in right field. Um, yeah, okay, let, let's run on the positive. The positive case for Marcakis is he is second in the National League among right fielders in defensive runs saved. I don't know yeah. how. I don't know how, but he is. He's there. Uh, he's also a, a pretty respectable sixth in uh, ultimate zone rating, UZR. Um, so those are those are his positives. On the negative side... He has a very ugly uh, overall defensive rating from Fangraphs, uh, a negative defensive it, it, rating. Yeah, uh, negative five point six, which is you know kind ugly. of approaching the you're a statue in right field category. Yeah, and also he has a what is, what is essentially a replacement level defensive WAR on Baseball Reference. I believe it is zero point three, which is not awful by any means, but not what you would yeah. consider a Gold Glove level fielder. Um, yeah, so. I'm kind of on record as to what I think about Marquegas in the outfield, but I'll, I'll read it back for people that don't know. He catches the ball when it's hit to him. Um, he's a former Gold Glove winner, which I think matters in this in this discussion for better or worse. It, it shouldn't, but it does. And uh, he catches the ball, and his fielding percentage is usually high because he catches the ball. He doesn't have any range, and he has one of the worst arms of any right fielder in the league. That's the short answer. Uh, what do you think about this? Uh, I, th- I think you agree that it's not it's not a good thing that he was nominated for this, but uh, maybe maybe you're more positive than I am about Marquez. Uh, and right now, um, <laughs> yes, um, I, I was very bullish on him coming in to join the Braves because I didn't. I, I just I mean, obviously, I knew that. I mean, we have to understand that we're comparing his predecessor, Jason Hayward, to him. And I knew I was going to be disappointed by that because I For knew sure. how special Jason was as a fielder. So it, I don't think that a lot of the criticism, I, I didn't think that a lot of the initial criticism that he got was fair simply because everyone's like, well, it's Jason Hayward. And I'm like, well, I mean, clearly he's not Jason Hayward in my field. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend that that's going to be the case. And I was bullish on him in the sense that I thought he was at least going to be above average. And he's been average in the sense of what his, production is i guess by some metrics but like he has he certainly isn't like um a guy that you just demand that you have to put him in left because he just is so bad so he's he's, he's almost like just good enough to stay in right for last year or two um it's just not exciting and you're not getting any benefit from him being in right i'm not even sure he's that I, whenever you would <laughs> but you're well, being you're being nicer than i would be i think he's well, well, pretty well, bad well, right well, I, 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 he, he certainly has no range, right? Correct. But in in, ter- in terms of like, and now this is where the defensive metrics get a little weird for me, in the sense that like in terms of defensive run saved, like he was a positive player. Is he replacement level? Yes. I guess what I'm just saying is that he is replacement level, and that he's certainly not a positive. But I mean, there's guys like Jay Bruce and you know Curtis Granderson who are just like by putting him in right field, like you're. Actively costing your team games. Yeah, he's not. He's and not. For instance, I, I, 
Yeah, I just think, like, for yeah. instance, like, Justin Upton is worse than Marquez defensively. Like, Justin Upton, when he, when he arrived in Atlanta, we all thought he was going to be pretty decent in the outfield. He, he's kind of a catastrophe. Like, he doesn't even make the plays yeah. that he's supposed to make. Marquez makes the plays yeah, that he, he should make. Yes. Yeah, see, like, I, I just don't... Now, those are the positive things. Yes. Like, he, he clearly, like, he, some, he, he, def- he saved some runs. He has no range. Yes, like, like he, like whenever there's like a flare, I'm like, there's just no way. He's just no, he's just not gonna get there. <laughs> um, it's just never gonna happen. Um, and he doesn't have an arm, so he can't really like, he can't. He's never a guy that's really like trying to get out, like trying to look for outs. It's not like Ender, where you know Ender will like actively try to deep guys and try to double them off. Because I can't imagine Nick Marquez trying to double someone off at first. You know what I mean? Like I just, no. I just, I'm like, well, it's just never gonna happen. And those are kinds of the plays that having a, at least an above average arm would let you do. And he's just never going to do that. And then of course, he's just never going to throw. He went out at third either. Uh, not at third, not at home. Uh, I don't know what his, I don't know how many assists he had this year, but they can't be many. Um, I don't understand. I mean, I guess part of the problem is that guys that you would think would have been in the running for this, like Bryce Harper, maybe even um, just had really down years defensively in general. And there weren't the, if you got to look at the National League right fielders in terms of defensive rating, there's only three with positive defensive ratings. Yeah, that's the argument. That's certainly – that's yeah, where this comes. Yeah, like they're I, just – I mean, there's there's Jason Hayward, who is the runaway favorite for the award, right? Certainly. He's, he, he, <laughs> he, he better win. Let's just say that. He better win. <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah, yeah, I would be shocked, right? Leads the league lead, – leads the National League in defensive run save, defensive rating, UZR, UZR, UZR 150. Basically, if there is a – if there is – an area where you can lead for right fielders, he is leading it. If he doesn't win it, then the, the system is irreparably broken. But then the only other two guys that had the positive defensive ratings according to Fangraphs were Bryce Harper and Gregory Polanco, and those are they weren't very high above positive. Everyone else is negative. Now, I just don't think that there was really a lot of standout performances in that right field this year. Um, so maybe they just give it to the guy who's won it before. Uh, I just don't see any situation where he wins the award. So, I mean, I, I thought it was hysterically funny given like how much, you know, grief Marquez has gotten for his work in the field that he was nominated for a gold glove, but at the same time, I just, I just don't see a situation where he wins it. And if he does, like, we can revisit this conversation, but I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Oh, so. certainly. I, I joked uh, right after he was nominated that if he won, I, I took it easy on him in the post. I, I highlighted the positive things. I hit on a couple of the negatives, but I did say uh, at least – Two people close to me, such as yourself, that if this ha- if he won it, I w- I'm going to unleash a thousand word rant about this. It's go- it's going to happen. Uh, he shouldn't yeah, win. I was, I, I was in fact sending that private message. So, yes, yeah, brace yourselves, people. Your your point though is a good one, and that the, the candidates outside of Hayward are not great. So that should be said no. and noted. So that that does explain a little bit of it. Marquez is a former winner and a guy who some people more, I guess, more traditional people still believe is a pretty good defensive player um, because of the fact that his you know fielding percentage is high, things like that. Um, so I sort of understand it ish from that point of view. I just think it's it's bad that this is kind of where we are with it, but it's the gold gloves. It's not that big of a deal. I thought it was more funny just like you did. And, uh, we had, we had obviously had to talk about it because it is uh late October and there's nothing else going on. So th- that was an amusing thing. Uh, we can move off of that though. and talk about more. I was, I was, I was just kind of looking at the, it took me, it took me a minute to find that car, that cargo was the third one. 
who, as it turns out, was in like the bottom third of all right fielders in defensive rating. Yeah, he's bad too. But I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just looking at some of these names, and I'm just like, I cannot imagine Hunter Pence as a right field finalist for the Gold Glove. I just, I don't know. It, yeah. seems, it seems rough. So I don't think nationally this like made any waves as like a weird thing. I just think people that watch Mark Hickens no, every day, I like mean, you and I, I, were like, "Oh, that's weird." <laughs> Or who know what Jason Hayward does on a day-to-day basis? More right. importantly, like it's, it's just, they're very different. I mean, it, this does kind of speak to in like if you kind of just there's not if you really kind of look at it in terms of right fielders, there's not it's not the same as it you would it used to be anyway. And I'm wondering if there's anything really to that. But I mean, I mean, obviously Adam Eaton is Adam Eaton's great. He was great for the White Sox this year. But other than that, you just kind of look and there's just like, there were six guys with positive defensive ratings in the entire league this year in, in right field. Yeah, it's, it's, we're going, we're right. going more yeah, offense. I mean, like, like, uh, I mean, like, I mean, I guess it's, I guess this is where there's picking guys with offense now, but I mean, like, but you, there does seem to be an argument that you can, should really recoup and get some value with guys who can play the field and have a real arm there. Um, the White Sox have obviously done that with Eaton, who's, you know, obviously really good out there, but I mean, we're seeing, I mean, I'm just looking like, you know, the J J Bruce's JD Martinez, you know, those kinds of guys who are just treading water out there just so they can bet, you know, bet in the part of the order. And I don't know. It just seems interesting to me that usually you would put more of a defensive premium on right field. Cause where you put the guy who can't field isn't left. Uh, and it doesn't look like that people are really taking advantage of that and said, aren't playing really guys who are really, producing at a high level in right field for sure and it's worth talking about probably just in a grand scheme but you know it kind of speaks to also how good Hayward has been as you just said so uh interesting just to note that and uh note our amusement but we'll move on from that and talk about a couple of guys who uh a couple of things that actually matter a little bit more Uh, a couple of notes from uh mostly from the local beat writers this week but uh both Malik Smith and Matt Whistler were in the news for different reasons Malik Smith was actually cut from his Mexican Winter League team after 48 plate appearances, which is not ideal. And um, we'll start there. You know, Malik's had, he, he posted a 157 on base percentage in the Mexican Winter League. Again, this is 48 plate appearances, so it's not that big of a deal. It's two and a half weeks of production. But um, should we should we care about this? Is this something that I should care about, that Malik's was so bad that he couldn't even last no, in the Mexican Winter League? He's, He's not he's not seeing anything that resembles the kind of pitching that he would normally see. So it's just kind of one of those things where he's just like, "What is this guy? What are these guys doing?" Like, just it's all like pitchability and weird pitches, and you know, the, the being cut from winter league. I mean, these Mexican winter league teams, they're they, it's all about the playoffs for them, uh, and kind of continuing to bring exciting players in and trying to both garner fan excitement because these leagues don't run very long. Um, and I mean, guys get cut from winter league teams all the time. Uh, it's just not that. It's just not that weird. Uh, it's because it's Malik's. Uh, generally speaking, you would expect a major league hitter to, to perform better there. But I mean, Malik is also a guy who missed a bunch of time and then, you know, got thrown right back in towards the end of the season. Didn't get much playing time there. Uh, and really, just next thing, winter league is just a place where they get more at bats. And my understanding is that they're trying to get him some more bats somewhere in, the, in a winter league somewhere. But I, I'm not reading too much into it at all. He's just, you know, he had. Missed a bunch of time and then was in a, uh, going going to make some winter league going against some pitchers he's never seen before in a situation he's not been in before. I mean, it's just he's a young guy thrown into a weird situation. He was just trying to get some at bats. I don't really read much into it at all. Yeah, I'm. I always like when guys just get more at bats like in the Malik's range. So I'm cool with him going down there. I like that. 
uh, just like we'll talk about Whistler in a second doing a similar thing. But, uh, you know, my my radar was up when I saw that come out, but at the same time, it's 48 plate appearances. And you, your, your point about pitching is uh, also more important than something that I admittedly have not dialed in on the Mexican Winter League. Um, so, I, you know, you see the numbers and they're kind of eye-popping. I think a lot of fans uh, responded to um, our post on it. I believe that Ivan did, uh, just kind of noting this as news. And people were freaking out a little bit. And it's just, you know, calm down, everybody. It's fine. It's 48 it, plate appearances. No, wait. It is, it is the Mexican Winter League. And there's anything ranges from junk ballers to guys who, you know, I mean, like, it's not anything worth worrying about. I, I mean, I'm not, that's not to say it's one way or the other about how Mouse is going to turn out next year, but at the same time, the winter, Mexican Winter League is not where you're going to be drawing conclusions at all. For sure. <laughs> so that's worth noting. Uh, the other guy I mentioned uh, at all, he says, that's good. Um, Matt Whistler is pitching in the Dominican Republic Winter League. Um, that is that's kind of just the uh, the news item, but I did want to note that Mark Bowman, uh, I think my my personal favorite uh, Braves beat writer, um, notes that, and I quote from Bowman, uh, notes that his primary burden appears to be his mental fortitude. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting and kind of telling because you don't really want to hear that about a guy who is. Uh, very young and who doesn't have the best stuff in the world. You know, Whistler's, you know, key to success uh, long-term will probably be, be outside of command is just kind of being like knowing what he's doing and being a smart guy and hitting his spots, that kind of stuff. He's, he doesn't have the overwhelming stuff. So if his, if he's having mental issues, that's really not a good sign for a pitcher like Whistler. I don't want to over, I don't want to overreact to this, but uh, seeing Bowman write that on his own volition kind of worries me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. So, Here's here's my here's my thing about this this particular quote. Uh, I haven't heard one way or the other about uh, anything good or bad about Whistler's preparation, other than to say that he before the season was seen very willing and eager to make the adjustments that he needed to do to be good, which speaks to a certain level of like confidence in the sense that you know you know I if whatever changes I need to make I'm just going to make them because I want to do well. You know what I mean? And he seemed to be constantly willing to receive coaching. The, the, this is only the second time recently that Mark Bowman has reacted strongly or at least posted an opinion like this because that's not what Mark does. You know, he's, just a, he's a very, very good beat reporter. And that's why, yeah, that's, that's why I got so weird about the, it. The, it now, the, now, the, now, the other thing that he reacted strongly to was Mark, Roger McDowell not coming back. And one of the arguments against Roger McDowell is that he had a tough love approach in dealing with young pitchers and that some in the organization did not react well to that. I think this might be a situation where Bowman and Roger McDowell have spoken in some, in some number of times and that Bowman got the impression from Roger, who is a guy he clearly liked because when Roger was, when Roger was, uh, was, was his contract wasn't renewed. It was very clearly something that Bowman was not particularly happy about for yeah. one reason or another, for whatever reason. That sounds... I wonder if that, now whether or not now whether or not it's true is up for debate, right? Sure. Like you like like it's not like Roger McDowell has a reputation of being a bad coach, a bad pitching coach, right? So it's very possible that he like look he's like I just don't think that Matt Whistler is the guy that's that is going to have mentally what it takes to be a major league pitcher. But I do think that there is a situation where Mark Bowman is very likely to at least be on the same page with Roger McDowell in evaluating some of these young guys in particular, Matt Whistler. So I wonder sense. if maybe some of them. Hmm? No, I was going to say that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. It's just, 
because of because it's Bowman and the fact that he doesn't do that, just as, as you know, that's a good point that I hadn't considered about McDowell. And that's you know again, I, I want to say that Eric's not reporting that he doesn't know that to be true. But no. I think the assumption, no. I think the assumption is a good one, and that you know Whistler was one of the younger pitchers and probably you know arguably the most prominent alongside Fultonavich of guys who have been in the majors the longest who McDowell would have had the most time to work with. And because Fulte is performing better, that kind of also zeroes in more on Whistler, uh, who's a guy who's potentially even regressed over the last year or so from where he was. So that could make a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering out loud if that's what if that's what it is more than anything else. And it seems like more and more clues as the guys are kind of, you know, as we kind of figure out the organization's plan for each guy and things like that. I wonder if one of the one of the issues was how to handle Matt Whistler uh, and what you think of him as a player. Yeah. And that's, um, it's interesting and, because like, and, Whistler's and, not that good, you know, like if, if, I, I think it'd be a bigger deal. Like I hope they're not making a decision based on McDowell revolving around Whistler because Whistler's not that good of a prospect. Like I like him and I always have, but like ho- I'm hoping I'm not, and I, I assume this to be true, but I would just, I would hope that they're not overreacting to one bad instance with a guy who is sort of a, a fringy guy anyway. Well, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't know how, I mean, you, you hear anecdotal stuff, and we've all heard it, about like how McDowell deals with young pitchers and how, like, the, there's definitely schools of thought on how to do that. You, sometimes it's like you either can do it or you can't. But by the time you get to the major leagues, you know, it's, it's grown up time. You either have to do, you either have to make it and, you know, prove yourself out there or it's just not going to happen. Um, and Roger McDowell, from what I've read and I understand, is was very much a tough love kind of guy. And it's possible that, I mean, it might not be just Whistler. There might be guys on that staff and among these prospects that just don't respond well to that. Now, whether or not those are the kinds of prospects you want in your organization, that's a completely different question. But if you kind of read between the lines, given a lot of like what you hear about some of these prospects versus what they thought about Roger McDowell as a pitching coach, you never... You'd be, maybe that speaks more to why they, they moved on from him, even though he had a good reputation in dealing with pitchers and, you know, one of the best guys, like game preparation guys out there is because they wanted someone who was going to be more nurturing to some of these pitching prospects. And I think it's interesting that Bowman took the time to write something that says, you know, that Whistler's primary burden has to do with his mental fortitude, which is just not something that beat writers write. And I wonder if, I wonder if that is some residual, you know, I guess scouting or just some thoughts that he had been had shared shared with him from McDowell or guys who are in the organization who supported McDowell. Yeah, it's just me wondering. It's no, I, I think it's, it has uh, some solid basis there. And again, we don't know, but I like I like the conclusion no. uh, to a point that we uh, don't know. But uh, you know, I do think that it does <laughs> it does make sense that the that the uh, Braves would move on from McDowell if they had actual you know overarching concerns about young pitchers because look this team could not have invested more in young pitching um down the line nope. so if they don't think he's the guy to develop that then that makes all the sense in the world to move on from McDowell because you know his best work for the most part has come with guys who are retreads and guys who are you know in their mid 30s and who are just pros pros like Bud Norris and a couple of other examples of guys who you know McDowell got a lot out of but that's not the, that's not the plan moving forward and if they had concerns about that it does make a ton of sense um I wanted to ask you, and we'll probably do a bigger wrap-up of this down the line, but I wanted to ask you about the Arizona Fall League a little bit. We have a bunch of guys 
we have a bunch of guys there, and of course, this is, this is your uh, area of expertise in the prospect realm, whereas this is not my area of expertise, but a few guys, uh, aside from, we talked about this ahead of time, uh, your, your number one note about the Arizona Fall League was that Team Tebow can't play baseball. Nope. He cannot play baseball. <laughs> one of the worst players, one, 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 of the worst, one of the worst hitters in the entire league, and he ran face force into the wall, you know, a couple weeks ago, trying to catch a routine fly ball. Yeah, that was, and, and then so, of course yeah. he was, uh, and then he was doing, and then he was doing TV on Saturday morning. So that'll tell you all you need to know about Tim Tebow. Yeah, he was on, he was, he was, he was on the floor, he was on the Florida Gator sidelines yesterday. Uh, exactly where he was. Yeah, that's that's we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> but uh, there are a few <laughs> names who are actually relevant to the Braves. Uh, I think number one among them, and the guy who's uh, generating the most discussion from Arizona uh, in terms of the Braves is Travis Demerit. Um, he's gotten some pretty rave reviews uh, despite having a sub seven hundred OPS in the AFL. I think his defense has got a lot of positive reviews. We talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Scott and I. Uh, about Demera and a, and, a, and a review that Keith Law had written about how just how good his glove has gotten. Um, what do you think about Demera overall? And if you've heard anything from Arizona Fall League, please relay that as well. But I think the especially the glove has gotten a lot of positive feedback, and that's something that you know you don't traditionally associate with a guy whose main main asset is power. But it looks like he's going to be a good defender if all, if all these indications are true. Eric Longenhagen did a prospect report on Demera when he saw it. And he said, this is the first prospect I've seen in a long time that made me wonder if I need to, on like the, the one to six scale for tools, whether or not I need to come up with a seven for fielding for second base. Wow. All right. Well, and, so, and he's like, the guy has a real range, real arm. Um, he thinks he could be like plus plus perennial gold glove kind of player at second base, which, you know, <laughs> going back to what we traded to get him. <laughs> it's such a joke. More. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's incredible. It, 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 we gave up nothing. Lucas, Lucas Harrell is currently a free. Yep, and Dario <laughs> Alvarez. Alvarez yeah, is going to be looking for a job. Uh, and we got this guy who hit point hit, hit nearly thirty home runs in the liners leagues last year. We got we got him for that. So uh, I, every time I see and I think about Demerit, I just sort of start laughing because you can copy just did a great job getting a real prospect back. Um, but uh, anyway, um, I've heard his feelings been outstanding. Um, he is very much his problem is very much approach oriented, in the sense that he has had a lot of trouble for whatever reason, and it's we kind of saw it last year too because Garav is a probably our, the resident um, demerit cheerleader amongst all of us. He loves him every time he watches him. He has elite bat speed, and he has real power, but. And it's weird that he will work walks. He he's not a guy who just never walks. It just seems like there's like one pitch in a bat, and it doesn't seem to be any specific kind of pitch that we can like key in on yet. It's just like he'll get fooled once. You know what I mean? He'll work he'll work these deep counts, and then he'll get fooled badly once, and he, it will. Most of the strikeouts are strikeout swinging because he just he'll hack at you know a breaking ball that he just like didn't pick up on. If he can figure out his pitch recognition and kind of ease back his aggressiveness on his approach. We're talking about a star at second base, not like a, not like a, just a guy. If he can, if he can just get his pitch recognition just a little bit better and just tone down his aggressiveness just a little bit. We're talking about a guy who could be like a really special sort of second baseman. Yeah. There's still, um, a, there's still a chance. 
I think there's still a chance with him. Of course, I, I think you would probably agree that he just flames out spectacularly because it's that bad right now, approach-wise. But well, yeah. I mean, right now he's. I mean, he struck out a quarter. Like, well, I, mean, I think it was better like than thirty-five percent of the time, which is staggering. Uh, well, that was that was that was in the that was in the league itself. I think that. Oh, you last mean Arizona? Year he had, yeah. Yeah, uh, let's see, five hundred bats, and maybe like thirty-two, thirty-three. I guess last year. Which I'm is just trying to do the math. Not, not, not ideal, but no, it's not ideal. But he also kind of improved. It seemed to improve at time. He had good stretches and bad stretches, right. and he's what I mean. Well, he's I'm trying to do some math in my head. I mean, he's 22 now. We'll know something in the next year or two. Um, he really needs to work on his approach, but he the the talent is there. That's exciting enough to make you think maybe he could be something special. Well, somebody, um, somebody, asked, <laughs> somebody asked me this week what, what I thought like a, a ceiling comp would be for Demerit. And I just, without thinking said Dan Uglo with a glove. And that's kind of, <laughs> <it's, it's, laughs> well, Dan Uglo with a glove would have been like, would <laughs> would have been an all-star every year he was in the league. Yeah, I should, I should have carried that <laughs> yeah. back with like Uglo, Uglo did walk a lot. So his strikeouts, his strikeout yeah. rate was always staggeringly high, and that's why I've said it because he was a swing and miss guy with yeah, a ton of power. But and that's probably it's not a perfect comp, but I'm just thinking like Demerit's power is also so real, and we and we know that that even if he just never masters the play discipline stuff and just becomes passable, even if he's just like a guy who hits in the in like the two thirties with real power and real glove, that that plays really well at second base, like it really does. Yeah. Um, and. It kind of puts the Braves. If he has a really good year next year, it puts the Braves in a really weird position. Because if he figures it out and like cuts the strikeouts down and you know still puts up these power numbers, Avi Albies is going to be in Atlanta probably. Well, so what I, do you do with him? Yeah, <laughs> you, you try him out now. What happens? You don't. I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question. I mean, his bat. If if he's hitting for average too, I mean, his bat will play anywhere. What do you do with him? Yeah, the problem is there is that. He doesn't have the arm for throwing. I can tell you that. But. And you mentioned the upside. You know, you're talking about if the, if the upside is that high on defense at second base. You know, the, second base is not the most important defensive position on the field, but it's still you, you don't want to move a guy off of that uh, immediately if he's going to be really, really good with the glove there. That's, so I mentioned is, last week okay. that like my hot take is that the Braves should shop Albies right now. I've been saying that because of the fact that I think somebody might think he's a shortstop and overpay. That's that's my uh, I, I I disagree with that only because you don't try to trade a prospect that currently suffered a major injury. That's true. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Say what you true. want to. I mean, like, I mean, the guy just broke his elbow. You know, being like, well, let's shop him around and see what kind of return we can get. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's any X ray, any X ray of him, his elbow right now isn't going to look pretty just because I mean, he broke the tip off his elbow. So. Yeah, it's just not going to look good. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, there's there's just no there's no there's no X-ray. But like, well, let's look on the bright side on here. You know what I mean? Like, you have to wait for it to heal and see how it heals, see how he, you know, see how. I I have all the confidence in the world that Albies will be fine. But at the same time, it's not really a guy I'm shopping around because you'd be selling at all time lows on him right now. Yeah, and you know that makes that does make sense and a good point that I didn't mention last week. But I think you know, you, you probably won't be trading him I, by the, himself anyway. It's probably going to be a package guy where he's going to be put with other people for one of those all-in moves that you we talk about, which there's pitching out there, et cetera, et cetera. I just, in theory for me, like, 
I don't think that he, Albie's ceiling he's is high enough. Guy you think about, yeah, you certainly think a guy you think about shopping around. Yeah, because you know, um, because, again, his his value for another team might be higher than you because your shortstop is already in Atlanta for the next decade. A like, long, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So if Albie's, if somebody thinks that Albie's is their shortstop of the future, they're gonna pay. They're gonna pay you more than he is worth to you, because at best. Albies is going to be a good second baseman, but a good shortstop is worth more than a good second baseman. And, yep. I mean, I don't think demerit would be a part of the decision-making process on Albies right now. You mentioned it down the line it could be, but it does help that you have, that you just picked up this guy who is another second base option. And you still have Jace Peterson, who is not an embarrassing second baseman. Jace Peterson is a fine second baseman. He's not good, but he does his job. He was just fine this year at second base. I think he's going to be a starter opening day for all the reasons that we talked about with Albie's injury and the fact that he's still only uh, he'll only be 20 years old. I think Jace is the favorite to start at second base next year anyway, even with Ozzy being pretty close. So all those things together, it's there's some, a lot of stuff to talk about with second base. Uh, it's much more interesting than it was about three months ago when we thought that Ozzy was going to be the opening day starter, et cetera, et cetera. It definitely changed a lot in a short period of time. I agree. Um... As for other guys, um, other than Demerit, uh, Dustin Peterson hasn't looked particularly good at all. Um, and I, I don't know why, what it is about him that I've been more skeptical about than maybe some have. I mean, I know Scott loves him. Scott does um, love Dustin Peterson. Loves well, him. He, loves, he loves Dustin Peterson. And, you know, like, it's not without, you know, it's, it's not without merit, I guess, but at the same time, I just, I just never when I watched the guy and he would, he he seemed to gas in the second half a lot. He definitely didn't that didn't do that this year, but I just don't know if I see him as a regular everyday outfielder. Just because I think he will have some power and he will hit for some average, but I just don't think that either one of those things is going to end up being particularly good. Um, and in the in the Arizona Fall League, he's just been kind of just kind of a guy. He's you know he he's yeah he's got two eighty six average, but he just has two X brace hits and no homers and no RBIs whatsoever. I just, I, he's been fine and getting him as that bats is good. I'm sure they're going to give him a nice long look, uh, uh, in spring training this year, but like for what role necessarily do you have a guy like Dustin Peterson, who's not a bad defender in left field, but you really can't play him anywhere else in the outfield and doesn't play any other positions. I don't know. He's just, he's not a guy that I'm super excited about necessarily, uh, but it's hard to argue just how good he was last year. So you know I understand he, why people were asking. Go ahead. You know who he reminds me of? And yeah. this kind of just clicked to me. He's Nick Markakis. I think that Dustin has a better arm than Nick uh, Yeah, I mean, there's there are things that you pick apart. Like, but, 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 but it's a point well taken. <laughs> I, I, I just think, you know, um, I'm not, it's not perfect comp. I'm just saying a guy like, you know, an uninspiring defender, like probably pretty decent in a corner. You know, you know, not not really impressive power. You know, good on base tool, good hit tool, but not not uber elite on either one of those either. It's it's obviously that's a very rough comp that I just came off the top of my head. But like, if that's, I mean, Marquez at one point in time was a borderline star when he was young, and I think people were projecting more power, and it just never came. And that's the, so. I'm not. I'm not trying to insult him by saying these Marquez. Marquez is a no, useful yeah, major no. player. That's good. Hey, like, yeah, and, and Marquez at one point did have power. It's worth noting. I mean, he was playing in Camden, but like at the same time, more than like, now for sure. Never elite power, yeah, but yeah. solid, solid power. And, yeah, 
and it's hard to, to it's hard to make many predictions about Dustin Peterson's power given the black hole that Mississippi plays in in yeah. terms of power production. Uh, the, the, that's a tough thing to project. Um, other guys that have been that are in the AFL, uh, Dylan Moore was another one of the guys that the Braves kind of acquired towards the end of the year in one of those little trades that they you know copies kind of getting known for just like wherever the value is, will go get it. Yeah, uh, he he has a couple. He has, he's he's got a. He's got an 1100 OPS in six games. He's not playing very much just because that's that's just the nature of the AFL. You're just constantly switching guys in and out. Um, but he's got almost 1200 OPS in six games and he's hit a couple homers and you know he's his, he's been playing well and he's kind of a utility guy too. He's can just play just about anywhere. So uh, he's he's been doing well. Um, let's see, uh, Caden Zavik is the I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm actually not 100 percent sure, but uh, he's a catching prospect that we got back. Um, and he's a college catcher, and he should move reasonably quickly. But he's kind of like a like a backup guy, uh, and he's been okay. You know, he's only like a 700 OPS, kind of like in the same you know same range anywhere that what Demerit's been doing. Um, just not striking out as much. Uh, Demerit's struck out about a quarter of the time in uh, in the Arizona Fall League, but overall. AFL is looking pretty good. Uh, Chris Ellis has not looked particularly good, but other than that, everyone seems to be doing reasonably well. You can only expect so much. You know, usually these are just guys to get them more innings, either just to get them get them more innings or to help them recover from injuries, or like in the case of relievers, kind of give them one last boat of, you know one last little bit of preparation before they really get a long look if we're going to the major leagues. Uh, and everyone's looking okay so far. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's we would stress that uh, do not overreact to the Arizona Fall League. It's a very small, it, it, regardless, no, it's, it's a it's very not, small it, sample. It, yeah, yeah, you want them to you want them to do well, but you don't necessarily think uh, that they're going to be you know failures as players if they don't do particularly well. Uh, except in the case of Tim Tebow, who doesn't look like he actually knows how to play baseball. <laughs> That's a fitting end of the Arizona Fall League discussion. Uh, more Tebow talk. <laughs> Uh, I did want to hit on one one actual uh, rumor-ish thing on the Major League level. Uh, Mark Bowman uh, reported via Twitter uh, earlier this week that R.A. Dickey could be a target for the Braves, and I think I think he almost I think he might have even said would be a target for the Braves uh, this offseason as a potential uh, short-term guy. Uh, Dickey is a former Cy Young Award winner, as people might know, but he just turned 42 years old. This week, uh, and and the other the other guy in his age range is Bartolo Colon, who we've talked about on a number of occasions. Who, but who, who I would kill to have on the Braves team. Oh, certainly he'd oh be uh, God, he'd be so much safer and more entertaining than Dickey. But uh, since since his famous 2012 uh, Cy Young performance, Dickey's basically just been an innings eater. Uh, you know, basically a FIP in the low four range. He had a pretty ugly 2016 with a 5.03 FIP. A 4.46 ERA and 169 innings with the, with the Blue Jays. I think it could, it could potentially be an interesting stopgap guy, but is that something that you'd be interested in? I think it's pretty safe to assume, in my opinion, that the Braves are going to sign one of these guys, at least one of these uh, older veterans who are just going to eat some innings. And I guess Dickey's as good an option as any of them, except for Cologne, of course. But w- would you be all right with this if they just threw a one-year deal? At, you know, Money doesn't really matter to me. Would that be something that interested you yeah, at all? I, I mean... I don't think there's much upside there. Uh, it's worth noting that being a knuckleballer in the AL East in Toronto is a little problematic. Uh, yeah, not I'm great. Sure, the 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 Blue Jays, the Blue Jays really thought that through when they were signing him. Uh, he hasn't been, you know, he's been okay to bad, I guess. 
Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily hate it, except that the Braves catching situation is not particularly good. And if you want to put a knuckleballer on your staff, you need to have a guy who actually knows how to catch a knuckleballer. Uh, and I'm not sure if we have guys who can catch straight fast fastballs right now. Would mean at least with any amount of confidence. You know, Tyler Flowers, notwithstanding, he can't throw he can't throw base runners out right now as it is. I don't know if I want him trying to you know get 1.8 seconds on his pop times or less when he's having to try to figure out which way the ball is going because Dickey doesn't know where it's going either. That would be incredible um, to watch Dickey and Flowers together and just the running parade that would take place behind them. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it, that, that's the, that's the only problem I have with it is that it's it's non-trivial that your catcher has to be pretty good at his craft. And and know how to catch knuckleballers more specifically, um, because there's plenty of guys who are good catchers except they can't catch knuckleballers. Um, and when you know when other catchers have been around, when when R. A. Dickey was at the height of his powers, or guys like Tim Wakefield when they were around, they had specific catchers on the on the roster that their job was to catch him, because catching knuckleballers is not an easy task. Um, so that's so that would be my, in terms of that specific scenario, that, that would be where my 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 concerns would be is just that logistically speaking, it's not as simple as just, Oh, we'll sign this guy. He has been good before because he's a very specific kind of pitcher with a very specific skill set that requires the team to kind of do some management. Yeah. Um, other than that, and generally speaking, I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't want to pay the guy a bunch of money, but at the same time, you know, he seems like a guy that should be able to be employed by the Braves at least. Yeah. I almost don't care about the money. Just if it's, if it's more than one year, I would be upset. And that's the case with any of these guys. You know, maybe, maybe a team option or something okay. on some of these players, but like any stopgap guy, just give him one year. Even if you have to overpay a little bit to do it, I'd rather have a shorter contract. It doesn't yeah, matter. Just sign Bud Norris. I'm fine with that. Yeah, it doesn't. It's going to be one off. of these guys. Trade him off again for a real effort. They yeah. keep talking about how they're going to get two or three pitchers, and that might be true. But I think this is me. I, I think I think at least one of these guys. It might. It might. It might be Josh Coleman. It might be. Might be that guy I mean, who they already had. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty. There's there's plenty of guys of just guys that you can get, and that's as long as they're one year deals, I'm fine with it. Uh, and if I'm prioritizing, I don't necessarily know if I think I prioritize R. A. Dickey because he was a Cy Young War winner. So just because I just don't think putting a knuckleballer on your staff just because you need a guy is necessarily the best way to do things. Yeah, that's a good point, and one that uh, we should certainly bring up. Um, that's probably enough on, on Rory Dickey. I didn't want to get to the mailbag before I let you get out of here, Eric. A couple of mailbag questions. Sure. Uh, the first one comes from at Trillionaire Zix, who I think we had on, on the show a couple weeks ago, so shout out to him. Uh, he says, Cuban infielder Lords Gurriel Jr., that might be the wrong pronunciation, you can correct me, is not being discussed for the Braves in public right now at least, and he asks why that is the case. And he asks, He also says that his brother who is an Astros infielder uh, shows signs of potential and that he looks better than his brother in terms of this, this, that's the question asking that I'm not saying that, but I will defer to you on this completely about Lords Gurriel because I know nothing about this Cuban gentleman. Okay. Um, so the answer to your question is why you're not hearing about him. He just recently, like the middle of October, um, the way being eligible for international free agent, the free agent pool is, based on your birthday, and he turned 23 in the middle of October, which means he's no longer subjected to the international signing pool. And no one thought that he was going to sign until he was free of that restriction. It just means that more teams are capable of bidding for his services. So if you don't really hear anything about what he's doing 
it's because largely speaking, he's been laying low until he can actually negotiate with teams that would be able to sign him. And he, and once he knows that he's trying to get in the regular free agency, as opposed to just the IFA market, it's just, there's no point in really starting any bidding wars until you can know who's all the bidders are going to be. Um, I don't think he is going to be a brave because the, the, the going rumor was, is that, uh, Uleski, who's his brother, and Lords were probably going to sign with the same team, even if they were going to be signing at different times, which means the Astros seem to be the front runners for his services. Now, Uleski, I mean, Lords is significantly younger than Uleski, which is why people say he looks better in the sense that, I mean, Uleski is already in his 30s and Lords is just now turning 23. Um, he's also a guy that's going to have to spend some time in the minors, though. He's going to need at least two years. Uh, he's a guy who's a play shortstop right now. Probably needs probably going to move to third just because his build is kind of more built for third. Um, there's going to be a lot of bidders for him. The Red Sox, the Cardinals, the Astros, the Marlins. Those are just other teams that like have already shown interest in him, and that's not including other teams that you know like the Yankees and the Dodgers who just like you know we have money you know and there's a player so let's let's have a conversation. Um, well, the guy who's probably going to need a year or two in the minors, which is not necessarily what the Braves need uh, in terms of shortstops and third baseman because they have some guys that are coming up and how much he's going to cost, especially with these other teams that are bidding against him. I'm not sure, in combination with the fact that there's also the, the family connection that that the Gurriel brothers have with the Astros, I just don't see it happening. Um, I think he was, a, he was a good hitter in, in Cuba, but he's a guy that also has like holes in his swing. He has a long swing, so he's probably a guy that's going to work on getting his approach and getting his swing worked out. It's... There's there's a lot of risks there, and I just don't know if the Braves were willing to spend big money on a guy like that when they already spent so much money on the IFA market. Uh, they've spent big in the draft, and they're probably looking to use that money to make the team better in the short term as opposed to just signing a guy who may or may not end up being a good player. So that's what I know about him. Uh, I just don't see that. There's, I just think there's too many teams with money that are willing to gamble on a Cuban prospect, um, which is going to cost them uh, versus the Braves. So I just don't think they're willing to do that. Well, there you have it. The definitive Lord's Curiel breakdown from Eric. Um, we'll get out to the next one because I have nothing to add to that. Uh, I guess this will probably be the last question. <laughs> I did want to, we, we did we did this on last week's show with Carlos, but being that you're the prospect guru, I have to ask you, and uh, I won't say anything about my opinion on this until after you say, uh, Nate Roque, or Roque, my apologies on, which, on not knowing which one that is. Um, he asked, which prospects on the Braves are, and I quote, untouchable, in any trade. Again, we talked about this last week, but I wanted to hear, I just want to have your reaction to, to, to the word untouchable. And um, I know the answer is probably that no one's untouchable outside of Dansby, but give me your, give me your most untouchable guys uh, in the system, a couple of them at least. I don't think anyone's untouchable, including Dansby. Um, They're never trading Dansby. But that, that, no, I don't think that I don't think they're going to. I'm with you. But if the right, right deal was if the right deal was in place, if the Chicago White Sox said, "Hey, we'll take you can have Chris Sale and you give us Dansby and one other prospect," they Dansby he'll be on a plane before they can get the, the letter signed. I'm not sure they would. Um, I'm but, not sure they do that. By the way, I think they wouldn't. Honestly, you don't, you don't think they wouldn't? That's interesting. I don't. I don't. Well, only because it's a pitcher. If it, if you said if you said Mike Trout, <laughs> then sure, but. I, well, I, I, just, I don't, I don't okay. think the Braves are going to give up. I know, I know, I know. He's, I know what I, you're I saying. Bra- value, um, value wise, I, that's the right thing. To in, ter- in, in, in terms of guys who I would not get rid of, I wouldn't get rid of Kevin Maton, uh, Dansby. Um, 
In terms where, of pitching that, prospects, that's where my I, list that, that stops, by the way. Those two guys. That's my whole list. Is Dansby and Maton. That's it. Dansby and Maton. Yep. Uh, I'm I, I'm with you that I I could see shopping Albies as being having value. Um, I, I would want something uh, that would have to be for a like it can't just be for like a middling starting pitcher though. That'd be at the part of a big like it, my my qualifier here is that I mean no one's untouchable, but like it makes some sense. Like don't just trade your top prospects just to get you know a number four or a number five starter or something like that. That doesn't that just doesn't do anything for me. Um. Which is why I hated like those those trades that were kind of happening, where like you know like guys like Drew Pomeranz and guys like that were being traded for top prospects, and I just I'm like, why? You know what I mean? Those guys have such limited ceilings that you might as well just keep your guy. You know what I mean? Like they can only help you so much. For sure. Um, uh, I, I this is going to be very much of a homer sort of answer, but I I'm not getting rid of Mike Soroka. There it is. I don't have the heart. I don't have the heart to do it. Uh, and I, I think that he is the kind of he has like this weird sort of upside in the sense that I think that his stuff could uptick a bit, right? Like, not, like I think his fastball could improve a little bit. His changeup could is probably the one that has the highest uh, variation, I guess. But if all three of his pitches are working, he his approach and his ability to command those pitches is such that all of his stuff would play up, and he actually has the potential to be like a frontline guy, even though he doesn't have the stuff that you would normally associate with that just because I think that he approaches the game in that way. And I just see that in how he adjusts in game. And he just seems like he already has the mental aspect of being a big league pitcher. He's well on his way there. Um, but guys like Allard and Tukey freed, uh, these are all players that I adore, but I mean, and Newcomb, I mean, Newcomb too. I'm not willing, I'm not just naming the guys who I am super excited about, but they all have risk. And I don't, I'm not so wedded to them that the, cause, because the kinds of risks they have between injury and just like being unable to know where the ball's going at times, you, these are the kinds of players that you want in your system because other teams can dream on them. You might know a little bit more about what maybe their sling will be because you just know kind of what their work habits are and they might value them more than you do. And these are the kinds of players that you want because those are the kinds of trade chips that you want when you're a team like the Braves who are going to have to make a move or two to be competitive again. Um, now, you have to make a decision about how far you're willing to go with that. Um, and I wrote about this about a, a bit about this in the sense that you don't want to trade so much of your prospect depth that your farm system is barren because all of a sudden you can't improve your team if it's not good enough either by promoting people or by trading for people because you're, you're just, there's nothing left in the wallet anymore. But you also have to realize that when you have, you know, 13 or 14 legitimate starting pitching prospects in your system, they're not all going to be starting for you. It's never going to happen. Um, and you just, you need to be dealing, you need to be willing to deal from that depth, but you just also need to just basically keep doing what the Braves have been doing, which is making smart deals and getting the right value which is why the trades for Brian McCann, the rumors for Brian McCann have just been absurd to me. Well, yeah, they're never going to do that deal. The faulty, yeah, it's never going to happen. But I'm with you yeah, all the yeah, way. I mean, on... me, I mean, look, I mean, Brian Cashman, dream big, but if you're like, okay, we're interested in Brian McCann and we want you to pay the contract, and by the way, we, you know, we, you know, the Yankees are like, okay, well, you're going to pay all this money, and we want Ender Inciarte and Mike Fulton Awitz, you have lost your mind. Well, it's the I, same I, thing, I'm amazing. You know... 
take take your shot. I mean, I, I would imagine that when uh, Copy and Dave Stewart were working on the trade for uh, for Dansby and Ender and Blair, that the starting price that might have been the starting price that Copy said, and Stewart, Stewart was just like, "Okay, I'll do that." Uh, so well, I, I get I, it. I, I think I think it might be more likely that Dave Stewart asked. Copy said, "This is my price." And David Stewart's like, okay, well, let's negotiate. And Copy said, no, that's my price. And then <laughs> over the course of several months, it's like, okay, fine. Yeah, that, that, probably, that is more likely. I just think it's a situation where that was Cashman just kind of floating it out there and no thanks. But I'm with you on the on the, on the the overall concept of untouchables. I'm totally with you. Uh, I always say Dansby's the only guy I think it was an actual one only because – it's the PR. Like it would have to be the deal would have well, to be that, that, so that, good. That is perfectly true. Yeah, perfectly they're just accurate. not going like, to trade. It's the same thing with trading Freeman. It's not that he shouldn't be. He should be untouchable. It's that if you did, like the the fan base is already. You know, oh yeah, you know, very fragile. Those are the right only now. two guys uh, in, in the system that absolutely are not going anywhere because there's just no chance. The PR would be too bad for those guys to leave right now. Yeah, Anybody I mean, else you can Ender is. Yeah, Ender is getting there though because fans are really starting to latch onto him. Um, oh no, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's he's the rare guy now who I think um, isn't a star. Like if he's he's at the next level down, I think potentially if the defense plays as much as we think it's going to. But um, yeah, the fan base just much like Andrew Simmons, I think is a very similar comp where Simmons is never going to be the best overall shortstop in the league, but it was a fan favorite to the point where. Anytime he was traded, it was gonna it was gonna cause a revolt, and it did when it happened. Um, Ender could yep. be in that next category. I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, I I love watching the guy play. I really do. And He's a lot it, of fun. It's a weird, yeah. It's 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 a weird time to be a Braves fan right now, is because like seeing the, how the team played and what they were doing the last month of the season, you're just like. I really I can envision this team being pretty good next year. Uh, I also could see them just not being doing anything either. So I, it's hard for me to understand what's going to happen, but I'm looking forward to watching it because they're ultimately they're that I really like the strategy that the front office has taken, and I really hope that winter meetings go well. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to be pretty active, um, and hopefully they don't you know go too crazy, and then you know all of a sudden I don't have anything to write about next year, but. Uh, I don't foresee that happening. <laughs> yeah, I doubt uh, that's going to happen very much. Uh, I think there's enough of a stockpile where you'll be you'll be just fine and having content to talk about when season op- season opens. Well, uh, Eric, I appreciate you coming on today, man. Uh, go ahead and plug anything we've got to plug. I know it's a downtime for everybody, but I'm sure there's something you can plug out there. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're gonna still trying to do uh, weekly recaps for the AFL. Uh, we had to miss this last one. Uh, because uh, Garrett was out of town. He was uh, outside Chicago um, doing a little bit of vacationing. Uh, we're going to be slowly but surely kind of working towards our own prospect list. So that will be coming after the winter meetings, though, uh, because we're definitely afraid that Copy will deal for or deal away some of the guys that we would be talking about. Um, but we have a we're, we're, we have a pretty healthy size minor league crew now, so that list should be really interesting and well fleshed out. Um, other than that, it's just you know winter meeting. The winter meetings are coming up. The Arizona Fall League is going to be coming to the end, but before you know it, so it's going to be kind of a dark time when there's not a lot of baseball to talk about. Uh, but we're going to do our best to kind of fill that with just some you know just information about the prospects that we've been covering all year, uh, and then what we can expect to see from them uh, you know, going into 2017. Uh, we're kind of still flushing out exactly how we're going to go about that. Uh, the, bro- the prospect list is going to be a big part of that, um, but hopefully. Uh, we can kind of come up with a better a better plan than we have right now anyway, but I know that the guys are all kind of working on stuff and ideas 
uh, what they want to talk about, you know, scouting reports and things like that. And uh, it should be an exciting offseason for sure. Absolutely, and keep your eye on uh, TalkingShop.com for all the prospect stuff, all the Major League stuff, and the winter meetings are early December. Uh, w- it wouldn't shock me if we had some fireworks in November before that. Uh, as soon as the World Series ends, kind of the free-for-all begins, and hopefully the Braves will give us something to talk about. Uh, thanks again, Eric, for coming on, man. We'll have to do this again very, very soon. At the, at the very least, we'll have you on to recap the uh, Arizona Fall League at the very end or something like that. And I'm sure there'll be a trade that involves a prospect where I need your help in interpreting what I should think. <laughs> Uh, so that will be coming uh, very shortly, sir. And enjoy the rest of the World Series that I hope will be uh, longer than just tonight. Uh, well, the Cubs are doing their absolute best right now. They're, they've tied the game 1-1, and uh, they got two guys on with none out. So you, know, you got to like their chances. Absolutely. Hopefully, uh, I'm going to go watch some baseball. I know you probably are, too. And uh, for everybody else, uh, thanks for tuning in to Talking Trump Podcast. If you've not already, please subscribe on iTunes. And uh, every single one of our podcasts, as you might expect, goes up on TalkingChuck.com with a little bit of an outline that I put together. So click on that. Uh, talk talk, talk amongst, amongst yourselves in the comments. If you want to ask a question in the comments, that's also cool. Or fire at us on Twitter at TalkingChop. Uh, I am at BT Roland. Eric is at Leprechaun on Twitter. You can find us and uh, chat with us. And until then, guys, stay tuned for the next episode of Talking Chop Podcast. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.